the best of times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity. Helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The best of times. Your host, Gary Coligas. Good morning, radio listeners. I'm Gary Coligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today and also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Radio Pup application on their Apple and Android devices. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn from the author of a very interesting book, The Olive in California. But this tells the fantastic story of olive trees throughout the world, but how they came to America. So stay to this show for some very interesting information. It is Saturday, August the 31st. We are broadcasting our radio show for the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the September issue of the Best of Times at one of our 522 distribution locations. We thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a copy, you can always go to our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues as well as to view and download the current copy of the 2019 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory as well as to to uh, to view various news and activities regarding events and actions uh, happenings throughout our area um, as well as listen to previously broadcast radio shows of the Best of Times Radio Hour. In honor of continued patronage of our senior citizens, Monjunis offers Senior Day discounts every Monday and Tuesday evenings. Buy one entree get a, at a regular price. Get a receive the second entree at half price. To receive this discount, bring a copy of their ad that's in the Best of Times and tell them that you saw it in the Best of Times magazine. This Senior Day discount is only available at the Monjunis located at 1315 Louisiana Avenue in Shreveport. Our friends at Ernest Arlene's is proud to offer Senior Appreciation Dining Discount for readers of the best of times. Every Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to closing, a delicious special meal with a variety of great quality food at discounted price. Delightful entertainment, of course, complimentary valet parking. To receive this discount, bring a copy of their ad or tell them that you saw their ad in the Best of Times magazine. Do call for reservations. Seating is limited on every this Thursday, 4.30 p.m. to closing. Do call 318 226 1325. Seniors aged 55 years of age or older can enjoy a $5 admission to the fabulous Shreveport Aquarium every Thursday from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. beginning September 5th. So again, show the, the there's so much to see and do. Bring your kids and grandkids with you as well. The aquarium is located in downtown Shreveport at 601 Clyde Fant Parkway in downtown. The $5 discount senior tickets are available at the door only on these Thursdays. For more information, do call 318-383-0601. Make plans to attend the 10th Annual Senior Day Expo at the Louisiana State Fair, which will take place on Thursday, October the 24th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the Hearst Coliseum in the, at the Louisiana State Fairgrounds. 
the, uh, persons of all ages are invited to attend this event with free parking, free admission, free admission to the state fairgrounds. Uh, last year, we had over 3,500 attend this fun field event, primarily for seniors, boomers, family members, and their caregivers. Be lots of fun, entertainment, prizes, and information, as well as uh, there will be state fair. Midway performers, musical entertainment, game shows, free health screenings, flu and pneumonia uh, shots will be given, as well as the shingle shots will be available. Many, many giveaways, information from over 100 exhibitors, and over 200 door prizes will be given away. Also, during this expo, there will be a grand prize drawing for a trip for two to Branson, Missouri. Compliments of our friends at Tri-State Cart Charter. Try charter, excuse me. Fun tours valued at over twelve hundred dollars. Uh, and uh, attendees can enter by going to the exhibit booth of Tri-State Charter Fun Tours on that particular day. But the winner must be present to win at the expo when we draw his or her particular name. We want to we want to also mention that the AERP will host a free shredding event in Shreveport on Saturday, September the twenty-first, to combat fraud and scams. Again, it will take place at the Cattle Parish Sheriff's Safety Town, located at 8910 Juella, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Bring your sensitive documents to be shredded on site to help stop scams in the area. In addition, on that particular day, there will be a Super Super Safety Saturday held at the same time. Uh, this will be the 10th annual from 9 a.m. to 12 noon at, uh, on the 21st uh, at Sheriff Safety Town and on Juella. And admission is free. Parking is free. F- enjoy fun, family fun, educational activities in five safety uh, different areas. Again, bring your kids and grandkids to this particular event. Our friends at the Bossier Council on Aging will be hosting a health and wellness fair on September the 25th. On, uh, from 9 a.m. to 12 noon at their location at 6, 706 Bearcat Drive in Bossier City. We'll be right back with more information. But now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, probably presented by A-Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show today is a very special guest is Dr. Judith M. Taylor, who is a board-certified neurologist, an author, and a botanist. And she lives in the state of wonderful state of California. And she's written this particular book called The Olive in California, The History of an Immigrant Tree. So thank you, Dr. Taylor, for joining us today. Very good of you to have me. Well, before I, I we get into the subject here, I just want to give you some... I, I found your book quite interesting, and I want to tell my readers, um, uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting read, and it makes you appreciate olives and olive trees. I, I mean, that, when I kept reading it, I said, you know, a lot of people don't know the, the significance, and you really did a wonderful job in researching it and pulling all this information, and... Um, 
uh, it, it was fascinating. I mean, I, I was captivated by the first two, three chapters in there. Uh, and then, of course, coming to America, yes, I was, I was excited about that and how all the, uh, all the history regarding that. But the, 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 the few chapters before about telling about the past history in ancient, in ancient times and ancient Greece and Roman and, and all the other particular was fascinating. And that the reason why, Dr. Taylor, is my family heritage is from Greece and Italy. Uh, Caligas is from an, an, uh, Kefalonia in Greece. My wife is from Patmos. Her family's from Patmos. And also we have friends that live around Kef- uh, uh, different olive areas throughout Greece and Italy. So it's it brought back memories. And I learned a little bit more about why it was so significant to the to the family members in those particular areas. So so what do you what do you say about that? I find that absolutely amazing. I did not know that, of course. Um I think the reason that you were captivated and, um, you know, throughout history, many people have found the tree of immense interest is so that it goes back first to antiquity and then to biblical times. That's right. For example, um, um, ministers of the cloth of various kinds grew olives and, and were able to make a little income from it. Because it was not ordinary trade, there was something sanctified about the olive tree. And that's a feeling that has persisted to the present day. And, and I, I, I think when people, I'm going to advocate again, people need to pick up this book because it shows the significance of both about all the religion, but all the various hierarchy. I mean, uh, kings and queens were anointed. Uh, individuals were anointed in ver- various sacraments. I mean, I, I'm Greek Orthodox, and we use we use olives and olive oil. You know, in, in many of our liturgical services and unction services, etc. There's so many services that we use olive oil, olive oil, and people don't understand the significance of that. And, and you go into great detail about that. But I, I thought the one that's really good is the olive branch. The, the the idioms that you know, we we extend the olive branch to someone. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. So that's this. It's a major significant thing. People said, "Well, where did that come from?" Well, um, you know that. In, in the old days, when one city was always at war with another, you very often had people destroying your olive orchards because they knew they destroyed your livelihood. You needed the oil, you needed the wood, and you needed the fruit. So when you came to an agreement, you know, this king stopped squabbling with that king, the olive branch symbolized restoring normal lives, symbolized the restoration of the orchards. Wow, yes. And that, that is really, you know, um, today we use that idiom, we use that phrase a lot, but a lot of people yeah. don't know what those particular phrases mean. And the other thing that, uh, that I, I talk to my, 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 my Christian friends and my Jewish friends about, you know, Noah's Ark and when the, the, the bird came back and what did he have in his beak, right? <laughs> A piece of an That's olive right. tread, right? And the and the laurels that that you mentioned in your book about, uh, and I've never thought of that until I read that. You know, the the, the oral the the olive. Uh, reef that's put on put on kings and queens, but also of athletes and people of recognition. Yes. So well, the other thing that I I mentioned in the book, and you perhaps saw it, was that on our quarters, on our uh, the great state of you know the arms of the of the United States right. seal has olive leaves on it. And there and there so aren't too many. If you pick th- up a quarter, you're picking up the symbol of olive leaves. 
that, isn't that amazing? And a lot of people probably don't notice that. There aren't too many trees that are per- portrayed in our <laughs> currency, both our printed <laughs> currency as well as our, our hard currency that uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, <laughs> There might be some in there, but but you know that that is that is pretty great symbolism there. They, they the the forefathers thought about that as well. I don't know about the British pound, about those areas if they had that, but you never know. No, we don't. We don't. We don't that. I love that. So uh, as my friend from Wales lives in this area, who loves me, I love him. He he calls us. We're still the colonies. I said yes, sir. We are still the colonies in your matter of mind. But he he's a great he's a great spokesman. Uh, so going from position to Arthur is not a author is not a tickable pet. So what led you to this? Well, um, I was very very active first in my practice, and then later when I went into um, medical administration um, I had always written short pieces I always found medical history to be very fascinating because of course until about 110 years ago all medical treatment basically came from plants so the history of botany and the history of medicine kind of ran together so I enjoyed both of those and would write little short pieces but never a book then my husband and I decided to retire on the early side while we still had the energy and the strength to enjoy life. When we were living in New York, we moved out here to San Francisco and bought a house just across the bridge, uh, which had a garden um, that had not been taken care of for many years. And as I said earlier, knowing that San Francisco has a Mediterranean climate, trees like olive trees, lemon trees, and so on, will grow very well over here. And I thought it would be wonderful to plant olive trees in my garden. And then when I saw how absolutely beautiful they were, I said, I have to write a book about them. So that's sort of how it happened. Well, they are beautiful. And uh, before we go into a lot of detail, there aren't that many olive trees throughout the United States, but, you know, they're prolific throughout Europe and uh, Italy and, and Greece and Spain and uh, the places I visited there. I can't remember if there were many in Turkey, but uh, uh, I definitely knew. I definitely, definitely saw a lot in Greece and Italy and, and Cyprus and Crete and those particular places. And it's a, and as you might, you will tell, you're the expert, the, the, the olive tree is sustainable it it, can, it 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 sustains a lot of things right it's 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 yeah. a it's a sturdy plant and it has its roots and it it's hard to kill it and it 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 it, it doesn't nick a lot of water and i think you say in the book the only way you can kill it is like burning it and what was the yes. other the, 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 it's, it's the catching the it on tree, fire right yes that's right the olive trees came from Spain originally, which has the classical Mediterranean climate, which is the long, hot, dry summer and the winter rains. And of course, that's exactly what we have here in California, hot, dry summer and winter rains. And so it's entirely a matter of climate where you see them. The only other place in the United States where they grow uh, sufficiently well to get a commercial crop Arizona. So it has. So, it has uh, Thomas Jefferson, who wanted to grow everything he ever saw, <laughs> made many efforts uh, at his home to grow olive trees, but he was defeated by the Virginia winter. Yes, the winter get so, the winter um, gets the right. He tried. 
And a lot One of, of the things about global warming is that you are now seeing olive trees in places that you would never think of them 50 years ago. When I go back to London, yes, I see olive trees. Wow. Outdoors, not just in greenhouses. Now, I'm not saying that there are enough of them to have a commercial crop, but when I was a child, nobody could grow an olive tree in London outdoors. That would be a very rarity. But going back to your thought about I, I've been watching some various uh, television shows that date back in, in England, back in the, in the, right after the Independence War, and they come back, and I was they had some physicians on these shows that were just making uh, different different L treatments via plants. They were they were grinding up various plants and giving it to people and probably the same plants that are that are today using a lot of the different medicines. I thought it was fascinating. You know, I didn't think about that. You know, they didn't they couldn't go down the street and buy bare aspirin or, or Tylenol or any other antibiotic. They had to they had to come up with them by some matter or means by trial and error. It, it was probably it was pretty remarkable even even at that point in medicines back in the the eighteen hundreds that uh, yeah. you know that 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 there was somebody was smart enough, some physician or some uh, person was smart enough, chemist to come up with these items that hey, it, it's treated, but it helps treat. But I'm sure it's it's been passed down from generation to generation that as well. So well, when you have people who lived in the forests of Central and South America over centuries, they evolved um, various what we think of as folk remedies, which turned out to be absolutely the most useful and powerful medicines once they were purified and refined. Take malaria and quinine. Yeah. Now that's the bark of a tree that grows in South America. It was known to the uh, native peoples and it was only after the Spaniards came and began sending it back. In fact, in Europe, it was called Jesuit bark because it okay. was sent back by the Jesuit missionaries. Oh, I didn't, I did olive, not know that. The olive tree, um, I was going back to your point about the ritual. The reason they wanted olive trees in California was not so much for the food as for the rituals. You know, they were baptizing a lot of native people who had been pagan and baptizing them. They needed holy oil, which is called chrism. Chrism, that's correct. And the olive oil, which has been blessed by a bishop. And so that's really the basic reason they came to California. Everything else was secondary to that. That was their goal in life, to you know, create as many Christians as they could, and then to seal that with the sanctified oil. And the, so they had the sanctified oil there when, what, without having to import it from, from Italy or Spain or previously, whatever. To be. Previously, um, you know, the California missions all came out of the original missions in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so previously... If there were a priest in California, he would have a small vial of oil that he brought from Mexico City or possibly was sent. Think about it in those days, how long that would have taken. Oh, it would have taken a long yeah. time to get across. <laughs> Plus, it wasn't... Anyway, so a that's the, the very important point about the tree in California. So, so the, the 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 shipment of that particular olive on that particular ship was probably low priority most of the time. I mean, if they had room, they probably put it on the oil bats on those on those <laughs> other ships. It would take probably four to six months to get get over there. But uh, exactly. so forever. But uh, but it was it. But again, it's it's fascinating that uh, that you found a topic that's probably not been written a lot about. Do you, do you, do you, can you agree to that? 
about I do. I have to brag a little. Let's I'm brag. the person who's written that particular book. When I first had my garden uh, with the new trees, I naturally I went to the library first. I thought, well, I can read about them in the library. And there wasn't anything I was remotely connected with that in the library, so I tried the bookshops. I thought I'll spring for a book. Right. And um, zilch. Nothing. So then I realized that that had not been written about, and I thought I'll get busy. And it was the most wonderful experience to get busy and start the research, meet absolutely wonderful people. And then the book itself was really only a bonus on top of all that. Well, and I'm sure that the the research was rewarding. And just hold that thought. We're going to be right back with more information. But now we're my sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Tony Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show is uh, a special guest, is Dr. Judith M. Taylor, and she's a board certified neurologist, but also, also a fantastic author and a botanist, right? And she is on my radio show today to discuss her book, The Olive in California, The History of an Immigrant Tree. So thank you, Dr. Taylor, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Very delighted to do it. So what, I love the word, you added the word, the history of an immigrant tree. So uh, we had to, so when they brought it over here, did they think that it would grow when the, when the, when the Spanish came came to California? Probably, probably they did. The, um, it's quite extraordinary. You know, Columbus came uh, west in 1492 right. and really only found the Bahamas. Right, Jamaica but, and a few other ones down there, Bahamas yeah, and Jamaica. Uh, primarily, and uh, maybe Spaniard, I get mixed up. But anyway, um, <laughs> when, when he got back with all the things that he found there, like pineapples and I don't know what else wonderful, exotic stuff, they decided they wanted to set up colonies in this newfound land. And they set up, the king and queen set up an organization which nowadays in England was called the Board of Trade, which is, you know, the Trade Commission. And if you wanted to go and settle in the New World, you went over to the Trade Commission and you got all the supplies you needed to make a go of it. And in 1503, they decided to send olive trees. And the olive trees failed in the Bahamas, but they did very well once they got to the mainland, which was then Mexico. And what? you had in 1520, you had a missionary go to what is now Mexico City with 12 other priests. They were known as the Apostles. And he built the first big institution, a, um, a Jesuit monastery, and they planted olive orchards. And they thrived. And then as other missions uh, were formed from the mother house, then as they went down, each one supplied the next. And so the olive trees got down as far as Baja, California. And then it was in the 1760s they sent um, Father... Um, I'm blocking his name. <laughs> Come to me in a second. Anyway, 
to to colonize what they called Alta California. Okay. And he didn't bring much with him, but later, over the next 30 years, many fruit trees were brought, and then finally he insisted that they send the olive trees so they could, in fact, make their own um, oil for christening and so on. So, Dr. Taylor, when they when they first brought this over in the 1500s, it's amazing that it, it crossed the Atlantic. They really had to nurture that particular olive olive plant. Uh, the, the small plant it is, it couldn't be a big, humongous plant to make it across the across the ocean, right? No, they brought, I think, what one would call a sapling, which was something in a pot. The olive has a very long, deep tap root, and then it has a bunch of very shallow roots around it. So by the time it establishes its tap root, you can put it in a pot. You can move it about. And if you think about it, they also brought animals. Oh, I mean, yeah. it boggled with the mind to think that they brought cows, sheep, and horses in those ships. I wouldn't cross a lake in one of those ships. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it made a cross. In a, a very small compartment of, of, of a huge, I mean, unbelievable effort that they made to colonize these places. So, there were no horses here before that. That's there right. There were no olive trees before that. So, so uh, tell our listeners the olive. The olive tree is a is not a fast growing tree, correct? It's very, it's slow. It doesn't. Well, the, tr- the tree grows pretty well, I suppose, like any other tree. What takes time is to get a sizable crop. Okay, fruit. yeah. The, the tree has to be a number of years old before you get enough fruit wow. to make it worthwhile. You know, first come flowers, and then fruit, and that um, ripens interestingly into the winter. You know, most fruit ripens in the summer. Right. But because the olive is from a Mediterranean climate and because its evolutionary history is really a little bit too much for us in this brief chat, but um, anyway, it's a winter ripening fruit, very much like the oranges, which come from similar places. Mm-hmm. And, um... But, so it takes time. Uh, that, that was yes. t- uh, When I was reading the book, it's not a matter of just planting it and it Grows and it's going to have olives the next year. It could take Not a few years. It could take a few years, right? It could have patience. Have, it's a patience type. To have a sufficient crop, it'll probably have one olive the next year. <laughs> but you know, that's not much. Either. Not enough to go in the presses. I don't think so. So the, you you will also went. By the way, her book is so much research. Wow, it took you a little bit of time. Hope you had a lot of helpers, or, or did you do this mostly yourself? Your research. No, I, Wow. I did it myself. And if you think about it, I was new in California. What better way to learn about a state than right. to drive up and down its roads deep into the countryside from one end to the other? I mean, there couldn't be a better way of getting to learn about where your new home is. And the most fabulous thing was the people I met. You know, many different kinds of people, elderly, Italian and Greek immigrants, and second and third generations, and... um just everybody was extremely kind and helpful. Yes, but you're right. It did take a while. It took about almost two years before I had enough material to put it together. But I, I want to emphasize to our listeners, she has some appendices. I hate to, is a, what's the plural of appendices? Appendices, which are remarkable. I mean, she goes around and mentions about the olive uh, 
that were imported into California, the different dates and all the different varieties. Uh, she mentions, I mean, a listing of all the all oil processing companies from 1885 to present. They're not just a few. There are quite a few. And this remarkable uh, references that people, I mean, I found fascinating, even though I'm not in the business, about all the history. And you even had how it came uh, from Christopher Columbus all the way until present date, which, which you know, it, again, was fascinating to me. And, 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 and the trials and tribulations of the olive tree in, in America, right? Oh, yes. Um, a lot of people planted them, but not everybody succeeded, of course. One of the big um, moves was, first of all, they came, the missionaries got them to come over, got them sent in. They had very big orchards, and they would have quite a good crop, and they could make oil for food, for lamps, for cleaning up the wool from their sheep, and then the ritual oil, and then they could eat the olive after it had been fermented and, and salted. Uh, then in the 1830s, the missionaries were all forced out. The, the Mexicans declared um, their freedom from Spain, and the first thing they did was destroy all the religious affiliations. So the missions were emptied out. The missionaries were just turned out, and the actual produce and trees and orchards and so on were just left to fend for themselves. Oh. A, a very rough period uh, for for many people at that time. Then in about 1868, two Anglers, that is men who came from the United States, across, across the country to settle in California, had the same idea independently but simultaneously. <laughs> they both went to an, a local mission orchard, which, by the way, was still flourishing pretty well. As you said right at the beginning, it's very hard to get rid of the trees. Uh, and they each took a lot of cuttings and started their own orchards. And that is the origin, really, of the modern olive industry here in California. Uh also mentioned that we we failed to mention you touched it, but I, I thought it was fascinating when I was reading. People did not think about it, but it was used as a lamp. It was used as a burning before many people had very other types of oil today, or uh, it was used in oil lamps. I mean, back in ancient times, correct? Of course, yes. You have the story of Hanukkah, you know, with the right the, uh, oil lamps and so on. Yes, they needed it because there was almost no other possibility to bring candles and uh, enough candles to last for a year was a, a huge impossibility they couldn't do that I mean, it was really like being sent to Siberia for many of these people because at the same time that you had missionaries you also had soldiers who brought wives and children with them and for those wives and children it was really a punishment to be out here so they had to have some way of, of, of seeing in the evening and olive oil, only after it's rancid, by the way, okay. not fresh. There's a lot of water in it. <laughs> so when it gets all the water out, it's it's easily burned, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, that's what I that's uh, that's what I remember, and, and somebody telling me, and also in, in your book as well. So, what what did you find? Um, there's probably a hundred things you found fascinating uh, throughout throughout your research. But what was let's say the top thing that you found fascinating? Well, I think um, the fact that so many 
very various and different sorts of people got into the business of it. I mean, you got, as I said earlier, um, you know, um, priests, uh, uh, Protestant ministers, businessmen, all sorts of people uh, got into the business of growing olives because there was a huge bubble for about 30 years at the end of the 19th century. It was the thing to do and considered a possible way of making a huge fortune. Unfortunately, making a huge fortune wasn't in it, but the rest was <laughs> But it, but as you describe in your book about the process, I I, I was not that familiar with it. But after reading it, it is a laborious process to get olive oil. It's not just a matter of squishing the olives, right? It's not as just as easy as that. Well, first of all, think about picking them. Yeah. Think how small they are, how big the trees are. You don't just so shake the tree, big, right? You don't just shake the tree and they fall down the foot. No, right? They're beginning to do that now. They haven't until fairly recently. Previously, you had people going up on short ladders and picking them by hand. They now do have um, machines that will shake the tree. It's not quite as good, and it's certainly not that good for the tree. No, but it's no what they so. do to, for example, with the almond crop. That's how they get the almonds out of the tree. Okay. You then had to um, do several things. It depended. If you were going to make oil, you didn't need the first, biggest, and best fruit. You could make oil from whatever was left over. So the first <laughs> thing they actually did was to size them. Oh, okay. And then they had a... So I'm talking now about the olives that you eat at the table. Right. You know, what you have with your celery or whatever it is. Uh, so the first task was to size them. Then, of course, they had to be cleaned up. They were kind of dusty and so on. Then if you were going to make oil, they had to be crushed into a mass... Uh, under a big stone and in California they have some of the earliest stones there's a ranch in California Rancho Cumulos which has the first big stone commercial stone mill um, from 1871 to make the mash and then you put it on layers and layers of uh, fabric and you let the oil drip through it drips through it remembering always that the olive spoils very quickly so this is all done in a very very short window of time so I think it's one of those situations you know, 99% boredom and then 1% panic <laughs> you've got to hurry up once you have to pick them and start the process wow because otherwise they're going to turn bad on you and then they're useless but but tell our listeners once they get the the the, the really good select olives like uh, I know that we have some family that uh, that live in the area of Greece called Kalamata where the Kalamata oh, yes. where the Kalamata yeah. olives are are picked and it's uh, I've been there a couple of times and they're it's remarkable uh, how they right there they have the the plants that get them prepared to be bottled and shipped to all over the world right yes and it happens to me personally. My favorite is the Kalamata olive. I mean, there are all kinds of olives offered to you, but I still think those have the no, best taste. No, they, they are good. That is in the Peloponnese, isn't that? That's Kalamata. right. That's yeah. right. That is definitely I just was right. reading a book by an Englishman who traveled through there, so it's fresh in my mind. Anyway, um, yes. The, the, and the... And the process is very, as you were saying, very laborious, but also has to be done very quickly or, or the olive oil will get rancid. I thought another fascinating thing in your book, which no, nobody thinks about, is the bottles. All the <laughs> shapes and shiz- sizes of olive 
uh, bottles. I mean, and I'm sure there's a collection for that particular aspect, right? Well, I did actually come, uh, did got, get to know a person who collected them as his hobby. He was a dentist here in San Francisco, collected olive oil bottles as a hobby. It turns out there's a huge network of aficionados, <laughs> and they have these meets where they swap bottles, and particularly, of course, the labels are very important. And it was with great difficulty that he allowed me to take a photograph of his favorite label. Wow! Yeah, so, you have a. I just uh, yes. I just popped up open the book. You do have some uh, some olive bottle, uh, olive bottle uh, labels. Yeah. But tell our listeners they're not label labels. Most are more em- embossed into the into the bottle itself. I mean, it's not. Well, it's not, they, they they did do that. They were labels, but yes, they could emboss it. And one I, of the most significant people during the early era was the first man who came overland to California without anybody dying in his party, and that was an exceptional thing. And he went into the olive business, and so his olive bottles, olive oil bottles, are perhaps amongst the most uh, collected, most sought after um, in this particular you know, field that people enjoy so much. Well, that's that's fascinating. Everybody has their hobbies, their loves, their little yes. <laughs> uh, that keeps them keeps them occupied from their regular <laughs> mundane, occasionally work of being either a doctor, lawyer, undertaker, or radio show host like me, as well. So hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now, work from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the best of times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly, proudly presented by A Bears, Tanning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show as a special guest is Dr. Judith M. Taylor, who is a board certified neurologist, who is a fantastic author and botanist. And she is from the, living in the state of California. And thank her for joining us today. We're discussing her book, The Olive in California, The History of an Immigrant Tree. I encourage my listeners to pick up a copy of this at uh, area bookstores. I'm sure you can go to Amazon.com and, uh, and pick up the book as well. Or you can go to her website. Your website is, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Historic H O R T H I S Hortistoria dot com is that correct? Yes. And you can go to her website. I'm sure you can order it from her her website a bit again and, and learn more about her and her uh, other uh, research and other books that she's written. Several other books that I'm aware of. Right? You've written three books or four books? Six books. Six books. Wow, you have been a busy lady in retirement. <laughs> I like it when, when people retire and, and are really go-getters and continue on to, to do bigger and better things. So uh, as a neurologist, you, you, uh, that's a fantastic field of medicine. Uh, my son didn't go into that. He's an ear, nose, and throat doc. But, uh, yeah. And I'm a, I'm a former home health care administrator, so I was not a, a medical person as say, but I took care of a lot of uh, thousands of patients through nurses and oh, physicians, yeah. et cetera, for like uh, 15 years. Uh, but the past 20 years, I've been doing this radio show and uh, help educating uh, people throughout our neck of the woods and throughout the world. So 
uh, you never know what you want to be when you grow up. My hobby turned into a full time profession, so you never you never know. So so tell me a little bit about uh, about your being a physician. I'd like to know your 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 thinking now compared to thinking then. What what do you feel about the the state of medicine today? Well, it's extraordinarily different, and um, the availability of information to the patients, you know, has changed astronomically, and I think it must make practicing much different for doctors. I have not been in practice during that phase, um, but also we now have information on disorders that we didn't understand and can do much more therefore for people we have methods of diagnosis which are infinitely superior to what I had to do to people much less painful and much more effective and also more accurate so I think you know the medicine in that respect and neurology included has vastly improved and and that's true but I can remember uh, I'm almost 70 back many years ago when I was involved in healthcare in the in the 70s you had to look up things in the coding books as well as the the PDR as well as the uh I forgot what the uh the various medical journals and medical books that you had to look up various diagnoses and treatment patterns and protocols and things like that and physicians had to had to remember a lot or or have a lot of books to carry around or research for their nurses and staff. So it, you know, it was challenging. Today, my son says he has everything in his iPad or his uh, his phone. He has everything accessible, and then he can call specialists anywhere in the world about certain treatments that he's and procedures he's going to be doing about to do. So I'm That's I'm right. like yeah. I'm like amazed. I mean, it's always networking yeah. and and so forth. So, uh, but uh, but again, you know, medical. Uh, technology and medical improvement is in improving our health and well-being and making us live longer and help and happier as well. So, uh, uh, and clinical research is exp- uh, expanding uh, exponentially throughout the world, and it's amazing what what can be found by by sure research by and by accident occasionally. So, uh, so how did you get into into the love of horticulture? I mean, it had to have been you must have. Uh, was dabbling in it in New York, right? Yes, I, I did dabble in it. And um, two things. One was, I think I mentioned earlier, I was always intrigued by the history of medicine, which was the history of botany for a long period. Right. And the other was, I had my own small garden, and I, I wanted my children to understand that food came from from plants from out of the ground, so I planted a vegetable garden. Very, in, in New York which, area? New York City? That well, you're um, in no, the I lived just about 15 miles north in Westchester County. Uncle Westchester, okay. okay. So there, 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 was, there was some uh, non cementable right, areas, right? <laughs> Not in downtown Manhattan, but there's very few uh, other than Central Park. Uh, you don't see many fruit trees. You don't see many uh, vegetable gardens in, in uh, Central Park, correct? No, although um, to give people their due, they are trying in big cities like that, and they do it here in San Francisco to have small community gardens they put gardens on rooftops I was going to say that, I saw that in Seattle they put on the rooftops which is remarkable <laughs> it's a great idea you're, you're breaking up well, I'm sorry, no I was just saying uh, you're, you're right about it I, I remember seeing some reports in Seattle and, and LA and, and San Francisco about rooftops of various uh, 
uh, sky rises that had uh, they were growing their own food for and herbs for their restaurants within their uh, complex as well as yes. for some of the apartments. So yes, there's been such a giant awakening to the importance of all this. So that has been very gratifying in the last say thirty years. Do, do you feel that the struggle in California when the olive uh, olives trees were brought there and then they started processing? I, I was noticing in in your book here, wow, all these different individuals that had to start off with their olive presses and and to to bring the the olive to market. Wow, they must have went through a lot of trials and tribulations. I think they did. Um, first of all, there are many different kinds of olives. Um, it is one species. There is only one olive species, Olea europea. That is the olive tree. But there are 900 localized varieties. That is, if you take a tree and you grow it in a village you know, 10 miles from the next habitation for centuries, it's going to take on certain characteristics. So those are the varieties, and there are ha- literally hundreds of them. So how does it how does it change its variety Did, by the dirt, by the climate, by the nurse, by talking to it? <laughs> <laughs> when it's in isolation and doesn't get pollinated by something from somewhere else, or it just goes on in its own way like that. Oh. That's, that's the theory of how species are formed. But. Um, it was pretty quickly discovered that some of these varieties did better as uh, table olives and the others did better as oil. Oh. And gradually that vast array and the wonderful you know, palette of, of varieties disappeared so that now maybe three, four, the most five kinds of olive variety are used commercially. The others can be found at you know, farmers markets and country fairs and so on. But when you buy a bottle of olive oil in a supermarket, the odds are it's come from one of about three or four main kinds. Now, the federal government uh, has taken several steps to make sure that if there was some sort of catastrophe, that we could restart the plant world. They have what they call their gene plasm uh, centers. And so if you drive up about 80 miles from San Francisco up uh, to where the University of California at Davis is one of the campuses of the University of California, you will find orchards with several species, several um, specimens of each of those different varieties that I told you about. Yeah. Very, very interesting work. It's done from almost all other fruits. I just happen to know that it's done for the olive tree. No, that's that's a, a great backup system as well as we need to yes. back up for that 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 as well. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the the other the other aspect you mentioned I think if you give us a, a little education to all of my listeners, because I hear all these people going to the grocery store, Gary, uh, what type of olive oil should I get? The one from Greece, from Italy, or from California? What's the? Is there any differences in the olive olives in those particular countries? I never heard anybody mention Spain, but they always talk about Italy and Greece and definitely California. Okay, so let's let's play geography for a minute. There are more acres of olive trees in Spain. Really? There are individual trees in California. The matter of scale, Spain has been growing olives for centuries and it's, you know, one of the most gigantic of its enterprises. There are acres and acres and acres in North Africa, particularly Algeria, Tunisia. There are vast 
acres beyond in Turkey. Italy is only a very small place, but it's got wonderful PR. <laughs> That's very People good. Are good point. By, good point. <laughs> dazzled by Italy, but what has happened until recently is that the oil came from Turkey or Algeria or Spain, oh. was bottled in Italy, and then sold as Italian. Oh, how sad is that? Oh, how so sad is that? Be very careful. There are wonderful. So you need to read the label. Dr. Taylor, yeah, you need to... That has stopped. Now, today, if it says it's from Italy, it probably was grown in Italy, but that wasn't always the case. you got to read the but label real quickly, right? Where the olives yeah, came from? As a matter of, of economics, the highest grade of Italian oil, if it's indeed really Italian, um, is the extra virgin. Uh, right. That means it's the very, very first pressing. Do you remember I said it goes through all those processes? Right. Well, the best... Oil is the stuff that drips out first. It's just like when you percolate coffee. Right, the first that coffee. First cup of coffee is much better than the last one. For oh. the same reason, because they, they got, got tired and all the good juice has been squeezed out of it. So you want to look for extra virgin, but that's pricey. That's wonderful just to put on a salad as the last thing before you eat it. If you want to cook with olive oil, you can just cook with a lesser grade. But it has still to be called virgin. When it says pure, that means it's been mixed with something else. It's important for your listeners to understand terminology in these industries. Oh, yes. So uh, a pure olive oil will have olive oil, but it will also have other things like cottonseed oil or whatever else. So if it says virgin, then that means there's no other contaminating no oil. So the consumer has to understand a little bit about these uh, Well, again, thank you for joining us today. You were wonderful. Great education. Be sure to pick up everybody to pick up her book. It's called The Olive in California, The History of an Immigrant Tree. Thank you, Dr. Taylor, for joining us today here on The Best of Times. You're fascinating. And good luck. And keep writing. And keep being and inspiring others throughout the world. So, again, thank you for joining us today. Indeed. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Have a wonderful day, ma'am. All right. We'll be right back with more information, but now work more sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Geel, proudly presented by A Bear, Standing Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Geel.